So the, thanks for that. The UFLPA is the short version of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. As you might know, before the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act came into effect, which was about a year ago now, a little less than a year, the U.S. government had in place import prohibition for any goods that were made in whole or in part with forced labor. That was Virginia Newman. In this podcast, we visit about compliance with the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act and a new tool from Customs and Border Protection, which provides some very interesting information about supply chain, supply chain mapping, and compliance with this most recent compliance law around forced labor and human rights. I know you'll enjoy this episode. The award-winning FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get to them, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Virginia Newman. Virginia, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Hey, Tom. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of the pod and of many of your pods, so it's it's nice to hear the intro and then be able to join as a guest here. Great. Virginia, could you start with your academic background and your professional background? Yeah, of course. I'm from Georgia originally. I went to University of Georgia for undergrad and studied international affairs in Mandarin Chinese. And then I um, went abroad and lived a year in mainland China on a Fulbright. When I and then went, came back, went to UVA Law and then came out to Gibson Dunn in New York, working in white collar compliance with a focus on the FCPA. I pretty quickly started working with the Hong Kong office over there under an absolutely phenomenal managing partner of that office, Kelly Austin, and got the opportunity to go over there a couple times, first for just a few months and then more permanently for a few years in starting in 2018 through the end of 2020. And for the last couple of years, I've been in DC working for Miller and Chevalier and continuing to work in white color compliance, but now I do mostly supply chain ESG work with a real focus on the UFLPA and working under the Business and Human Rights Practice Group at Miller and Chevalier. Did you teach on your Fulbright? I didn't. So when I did the Fulbright in mainland China, they only offered the research scholarships. So I did a research project in coordination actually with a local Chinese government training school in Jiangxi province in Nanchang. It's not a super well-known area. It's a, at the time was a third tier city. So pretty far off the beaten path. I didn't see Westerners for many months after I moved there. And that was one of my, I guess, one of the hardest, but also just best experiences of my life. And right. yeah, and that has guided my legal career. So I've, I really have a, an interest in proclivity and studying Chinese and then also just understanding the culture, a lot of love and affinity for the culture. And that's driven me in my professional career as well. So the it's an interesting kind of place to be working so heavily on the UFLPA. But I think it's good to have some folks in this space who have an understanding of Chinese culture and Chinese people and also just a real affinity for the culture as well. So could we start by you reminding our audience, hopefully they do know what the UFLPA is, but what's the full name of the law and what does it entail? 
So the thanks for that. The USLPA is the short version of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. As you might know, before the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act came into effect, which was about a year ago now, a little less than a year, the U.S. government had in place import prohibition for any goods that were made in whole or in part with forced labor. That framework has been in place for a really long time. There's not a lot of hard law, human rights, and ESG laws out there that are applicable to multinational companies. But the U.S. import prohibition is one of the long-standing ones that's had the most effect on companies. It wasn't really enforced too much until really starting about three years ago. You started seeing enforcement and really targeted against particular companies or particular sectors or particular jurisdictions. What the UFLPA does is it takes the tariff acts import prohibition and it applies it blanketly across one particular province in China which is the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, also known as the XUAR, and I just refer to it as Xinjiang. Basically, any goods that are made in whole or in part from Xinjiang, including any components, so if it's, we're talking about your shirt, if any one of those buttons were coming from Xinjiang, or if the thread or the ink in the thread, anything runs through that province. U.S. Customs and Border Protection, which is responsible for enforcing the law, has the right to detain your goods at the U.S. border and ask you to prove either that they weren't made with forced labor or you could try to prove that actually those goods aren't coming from Xinjiang. The supply chain doesn't pass through there at all. So yeah, that's a good primer. I love talking about this stuff. I'm sure we'll go into more of the details too, but I'll pause there. So this law has a unique aspect, at least unique from U.S. compliance laws such as the FCPA, other export control laws or AML or other sanctions laws, which is almost an affirmative obligation on companies. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of confusion in the space because there's kind of one camp that thinks that the law requires affirmative supply chain mapping and due diligence. And I'll explain what that means. And then there's another camp that thinks that you don't really need to do it unless you're being targeted for enforcement by customs and border protection. So so what the law requires and what CBP has long required is that companies exercise reasonable care to ensure that they're complying with U.S. import laws and customs regulations. And that's incumbent on all U.S. importers, that they should be exercising reasonable care to ensure that they're complying with U.S. law when importing goods into the country. But the U.S. government has now issued guidance to importers with respect to complying specifically with the UFLPA. And kind of step one is knowing your supply chain. So getting full visibility into all the tiers of the supply chain down to the raw material and then doing some level of due diligence. It could be risk-based due diligence to try to identify risks in the supply chain as relate to forced labor. With respect to the UFLPA, that's that's really heavily focused on whether the supply chain runs through this particular region in China or is touched by any entities on the UFLPA entity list, which as of now is still quite short. But I'd say that increasingly companies are starting to view that as a requirement because when your goods are detained by customs, the presumption really is there's a rebuttable presumption under the law. And the presumption is if those goods are coming from Xinjiang, if they run it all through Xinjiang, customs will assume that they're made with forced labor. 
And it's up to the importer then to prove that the goods were not made with forced labor. And under the law, actually, there's, I said, they referred to two, two camps. So if your goods are coming from Xinjiang and you accept that they're coming from Xinjiang, then really the burden is on you to prove that they're not made with any forced labor, which is an incredibly high burden. And to our knowledge, importers have not been trying to do that. They're going the second route, which is if you're saying that the goods were not made in Xinjiang at all, then the burden is on you to just prove the entirety of the supply chain and that it doesn't run through Xinjiang. You don't necessarily need to show the labor conditions at every single facility in the supply chain. You just need to show that the supply chain falls outside of Xinjiang in its entirety. So you recently attended an event where there was something introduced called the CBP. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how that relates to the flavor of compliance you practice in, particularly around the UFLPA. CBP refers to U.S. Customs and Border Protection They have been really ramping up in the last year, increasing their budget, increasing their staffing to be able to meet this enforcement expectation by Congress under the UFLPA. And Customs enforces this law by detaining goods at each individual port of entry. So you're dealing with the various port officers and then with their HQ, CBP's headquarters. And they're also engaging in a strong campaign to educate importers on what the law entails and requires. The most recent event that I went to as part of this sort of educational effort on CBP's part was their forced labor trade expo. So they hosted a forced labor trade expo here in Washington, D.C. in March, and they had various providers come and present on their due diligence offerings so the companies can try to better identify links in their supply chain to Xinjiang, but also potential susceptibilities with respect to labor as well. So what is the new UFLPA enforcement dashboard that the CPB has developed? So this is a great question. I think it's a really big move on CBP's part. One of the main issues that importers have been having with under the UFLPA and this new enforcement regime is the lack of visibility into how CBP enforces the UFLPA. I, I think I mentioned earlier that it's really being enforced on a sector by sector basis. So Customs has picked out a list of goods that they think are at high risk of being made with forced labor or of running through the Xinjiang province. It includes items like aluminum, polysilicon or silica-based products, cotton, tomatoes, and now polyvinyl chloride, PVC, which you see in flooring, flooring a lot. And Customs, initially in enforcing the law, didn't have a lot of data to share with importers. And importers were really trying to understand for their own perspective, where should I be focusing my resources? What goods are at risk of detention? And from CBP's perspective, are at risk of being made with forced labor and subject to enforcement under the UFLPA. So Customs put together this enforcement dashboard that contains all of these statistics on how they've been enforcing the UFLPA so far. So it shows how many products have been, how many shipments have been detained on the UFLPA, the dollar value of those shipments, where those shipments are coming from, what industry or sector they fall under. And then you can break it down and slice it and dice it by a quarter of enforcement and a lot of other factors. So it's been, I think, a pretty informative tool for the trade community. 
and with a clear response to importers' concerns about lack of visibility into the enforcement protocol. Virginia, you know this, but our listeners may not know. The reason I reached out to you for this podcast is you and your some of your colleagues at Miller and Chevalier wrote a paper entitled Trade Compliance Flash, CBP's Forced Labor Technical Expo Reveals Promising Solution for Enhancing UFLPA Compliance. And we're going to link to your article in the show notes. But as part of your article, you broke down the CBP enforcement, or at least the information from the tool into four general categories. And I was wondering if you could go through those categories and then maybe give us a flavor of your observations from each category. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned that Forced Labor Trade Expo, so basically there were two days of providers getting in front of the trade community as well as each other and discussing their due diligence offerings. So we listened to all of those. We met a lot with a lot of those vendors, both with our clients and just one-on-one to understand the due diligence offerings that they provide and their capabilities and their limitations. So they've got a lot of really interesting technologies that are cropping up right now in this new cottage industry of UFLPA due diligence. I personally find this fascinating. It's really quickly to see how, really interesting to see how quickly the due diligence industry has shifted and filled this new need. So the first and maybe the most interesting is the tech tools. So there are these new providers that are able to offer either DNA testing or isotopic testing where they're able to go down and test the materials in certain products when they arrive in the United States and look for the certain qualities related to the DNA in those materials or isotopes in those materials to figure out the origin of the raw materials that were used to make them. That product offering right now is really strong with respect to apparel. Because of the features of cotton, you're able to actually test it in a scientific way, which I cannot explain, but see where the particular cotton in your shirt came from. I know that the apparel industry is also expanding this capability somewhat to other types of fabrics, but this is this has been existent in the cotton and apparel industry for quite some time because consumers are also concerned and interested to know if their products contain organic cotton. So that's one type of provider, which I think is really interesting. I don't think it's got an application outside of other sectors just yet, but we might see that expand to, for example, the solar panel sector. And I think that some of the providers are working on that capability. The next is one that folks in the anti-corruption compliance space are probably already familiar with. That's just third-party screening. So a lot of these providers aggregate corporate registry information, trade data, as well as adverse media, and they have it organized in such a way and their search terms are formulated in such a way that they're able to look for adverse media and trade and sanctions data in numerous different languages with a focus on forced labor, as well as potential connections to China's Xinjiang province. Those really run the spectrum in terms of how sophisticated the provider is and how expensive the provider is. The third is a real focus on the the corporate links in the supply chain. And there's two ways that companies are doing this. So with the supply chain mapping being a really key component of UFLPA due diligence or UFLPA compliance, 
there's two types of companies that are offering solutions to help companies do this very in-depth supply chain mapping, which is such a, it's a three word phrase, but it means so much more than that. And it's such a robust and intensive process in terms of resources that these providers are really filling a need right now. One of them, or one category of them, offer to do this on kind of an AI-based way or a predictive way. They're able to access trade data, and maybe they also, some of them do actually use artificial intelligence to replicate what they think your supply chain probably looks like based on publicly available data and sometimes based on their own predictive data as well. That kind of gives companies a starting point. So they'll say, if you say, Tom, that you are a manufacturer of, let's say, automobiles and you wanted to see what the entire supply chain looked like for a given automobile coming across the border from Mexico, they could predict what they think it looks like, which gives you a huge leg up. And then your job is just a confirmation exercise. So you still need to go out to all of your suppliers and confirm that your predicted supply chain is correct, but it takes out a lot of the legwork. The second option is just going out on an individual basis, reaching out to each individual supplier getting their sub-tier supplier information, then going to those next tier suppliers, getting their sub-tier supplier information, and on until you get down to tier in or the ultimate raw material. That, that process has some benefits because if you get goods detained by CBP, they're not really going to be interested in your predictive supply chain. They're going to want to see your actual supply chain. So those are the two different two different options for the mapping and all that's the four different options for supplier due diligence. I think many people are wondering what the future of enforcement will be. We've had just relatively few months of enforcement. It seems to be robust, but where do you see this going down the road, Virginia? So I think that we're going to see an increase in UFLPA enforcement. Right now, the import community is already stunned by the ramp up. And now the initial enforcement was against solar panels and cotton, which were already to some extent experiencing enforcement in the pre-UFLPA regime under the Tariff Act and some implementing regulations under the Tariff Act. But after about six months, CBP started indicating we're going to shift our enforcement focus to a few other sectors now as well. So we started to see enforcement against the auto sector. I mentioned the PDC flooring sector. And then in general, aluminum and steel have been products that they're increasingly mentioning. As also, the I don't know if you paid attention all to the latest Congressional Executive Committee on China. I think I'm, I think I'm saying that it's the new CEC. And there's still a lot of focus on this particular issue in China and this, the Xinjiang issue is being used as a a lever to continue to exert some trade pressure on China. I don't think that enforcement is really going to ramp down unless U.S.-China relations get better. And I think that for a lot of folks in this space that are experienced in working with China and maybe in both the UFLPA and other areas of the law, or other areas of business are not really optimistic that it's going to ramp down anytime soon. I personally think that this has also had the effect, though, of getting companies to think a little bit more strategically about their sourcing and about just making sure that they have good compliance programs in place to ensure that they've got good labor practices in the supply chain. So there are some ancillary benefits to it as well, but the entire 
kind of import community uh, is I think thinking of this as a forward-looking issue that they need to make really revamping changes to their internal compliance and sourcing programs to make sure that they accommodate. Virginia, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I was wondering if our audience wants any more information about yourself, any of the tops we touched upon. We're going to link to your great paper in the show notes. But uh, other than that, what would be the best place or places for them to go? If anyone wants to contact me directly, I'm available on LinkedIn. And then I've also, you can reach out to me on email. I'm at bsnewman at gmail.com. I'm also on the Miller and Chevalier website. You can reach out to my Miller and Chevalier email as well. I'm, I really love talking about these issues and connecting with folks in this space. So by all means, reach out if you have any questions. And for those of you who are listening to this podcast, I can only emphasize the passion I see in her and really her love, not only of China and her passion around that, but working on these issues. She could be a great resource for you. And Virginia, I hope that we can continue this conversation. I hope so as well, Thomas. Real pleasure to meet you and to be on the pod. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. We have several new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We have Fox on Podcasting, where I go meta and talk about podcasting. We have Compliance and AI, where I talk about the intersection of compliance and AI. We have From Last to First, the John Assetti story, which is my first biography in the podcast format. Check out all of these where great podcasts are listened to. I hope you will subscribe or rate and review all of these podcasts. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.